Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Taylor Campbell. I'm a birth and bereavement doula, as well as an adoption and surrogacy doula. Doula means woman who serves. And although I love happy births, adoptions, and surrogacy, the pro bono part of my business is in bereavement. I'm here to help you. I'm also mom of 18, yes, 18 children, with over 30 years experience in the trenches as a mom myself. We have a huge blended family, and I've also experienced the loss of our adult son. Remember, give a shout out to those brave enough to share their stories on how they have become parents. Let's dive in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. Today I'm on with Katie Smith. Katie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And I'm I with you, it was like, we can't keep talking before we record because right. <laughs> that'll be the whole podcast interview. But right. I love your story. First of all, people can find you in the description. We have your links. You are a published author. And it says that in the description, in the title. Um, but you wrote about something real specific. I don't know where you want to start your story. If it's getting married because I don't know when you started struggling with it. Well, two years after marriage, it was TTC. Can you go back in time and take us through that process? Yeah, sure. Is that where you want to jump in? Well, um, I'll give you a little history. Um, I Because I've always wanted to be an adoptive mom. Um, oh, okay. when, when I was younger, I go to a big church. My dad's one of the assistant pastors. So very involved. And there was a family there who um, did, they worked at a boy's home. And they were par- they were house parents, but I didn't know what that meant. I just knew on Sundays, there were like 10 boys that came in with this family and they were part of the family. And um, this, this couple just loved them as their own. And I just, that's kind of opened the store for me where I just saw the love of this, this group and how these boys were being cared for. And um, I just always wanted to do that. And then my husband and I um, were when we were dating, we did a bus ministry where they, you know, bust in kids from the poorer section of town into church. And yep. these first, these first graders were coming in and we loved them and we took care of them during Sunday school. And then they didn't want to leave us. They didn't want to go home because they didn't know what they were going home to, or if anybody was going to be home when they got there, their, their situations were so bad. And um, so I just, from, from early on, I always kind of had this like, heart for adoption and foster care. I just didn't know what that would look like. Um, And I just always thought, you know, I would be the typical, you know, good wife who, you know, you get married two years later, you have a baby, and then you, you go from there. And, um, you know, and I come from a family where my, my sisters, that's kind of what they did. They planned out their pregnancies, and they had their babies when they were ready to have them. And they, and that's how everybody was doing things. Um, But I have had um, thyroid disease, and I wasn't diagnosed at the time, um, but it also resulted in me having polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. So my body, if I get pregnant, which is very hard to do, then my body also re- rejects the baby before I even test positive for pregnancy. So I could have been pregnant at some point and just not even been aware of it. Um, and so we were kind of talking about like what what this would look like, how should we become parents? And um, it just, it was like, God was just closing all the doors to conceive naturally. And we thought, we we talked to our doctor and I went through the first six months of um, taking the the pills to make me ovulate more. And um, that kind of made me a crazy person, messed with my hormones, messed with my, my, my husband, 
is thankful today that he's still alive because <laughs> I would just you never like, know. Well, <laughs> well, I would one minute I would be so happy and lovey dovey, and then the next minute I would be like throwing things and you know. And he said, "You gotta, you gotta get off this. This isn't working." It was they had me on the highest prescription they could give me, and it just was a lot of out of pocket money, you know, because it's not covered by a lot of insurances and. Um, we talked to our, our doctor, our, our fertility doctor, and he said, well, you know, we can start doing, you know, the shots, but I cannot guarantee that you'll be able to carry this baby to term if you do get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's going to be thousands of dollars out of pocket. And so I happened to work for an attorney at the time whose um, former assistant had gone through an adoption. And he said, I want you to talk to her and get some more information. Um, and it turned out that adopting was going to cost about the same amount of money as it was to go through all these fertility treatments that might not result in a baby. And while I grieved a little bit about not going through pregnancy and experiencing a life growing inside of me, really what I wanted was to be a mom. And that was like the most important thing. And so it just kind of seemed like God was leading us down this path. And um, at the time, we thought we wanted to do an international adoption. And so we worked, we went, signed on with an agency, but they were um, going through a lot of um, turnover at the time. Their, their staff, their, somebody was on their staff had been diagnosed with cancer and was dying. And then another one was leaving because she was pregnant. And there, there was just, they said it'd be a year and a half before they could even get anybody in to, to do the seminar. And we had already been trying for about five years. And um, so, and then it turned out that to adopt through their program, my husband's um, eight and a half years older than me. So he was, a, he qualified for their program, but I didn't because I was still in my twenties. And so, um, so it was just kind of like, okay, what do we do? how do we go about this? So we we had researched and, and gone so far with international adoption and it seemed like God was closing that door. So we thought, well, there's a lot of kids here in our community that need us. So let's go through the foster care system. But um, the person in charge of the foster care program here was not a great advocate for the children at the time and mm. led, a, led a seminar that resulted in a lot of the families pulling out of the program. And um, she just did, she, she just was very, um, I think over the top with the problems that can come about and how they could, how the DSS or the Department of Family Services could come in and threaten you. And there was just a lot of factors that we just couldn't consider. And um, so my, so the attorney I worked for, his assistant called me and said, um, well, I, I found this adoption attorney and we were working with him and this couple was also working, this uh, birth couple was also working with an agency in town, but they never intended to actually place their children for adoption. They just wanted somebody to pay all their medical bills and, and all their expenses and they skipped town. And the agency told their couple, too bad, you're out the money, move on. But the attorney said, oh no, this is fraud and went after the birth family to try to get some of the expenses paid back to the adoptive couple. Um, and so we just were really impressed with how professional he was and how he handled the situation. And so we ended up um, going with him and within three months we were matched with a birth mom 
and um, we we drove up to North Carolina um, to meet her. She was in in jail at the time, and she was supposed to be considering several um, couples at the same time. She had been given some por several portfolios, but she said she just didn't want any didn't want to hear about anybody else. And mm. um, so she actually had ultrasound pictures to give to me there. And um, so we have now actually adopted three children from her, all as babies, um, that she just has developed a good relationship with us. We don't hear from her very, very often, but um, that's kind of where like every couple of years she would get pregnant and she would call the office and say, you know, are Jamie and Katie available? Do they want to take on another another baby? Um, and so we've just left the door open because we really believe in trying to keep siblings together if possible. And um, so now um, my youngest is nine. So it's it's been a hot minute since she's been pregnant again. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we've grown our family. And um, we did uh, for a time foster children as well. We had 10 foster kids one summer. Um, not all at the same time, but <laughs> at different times. Um, so we were respite in emergency care for a little okay. while. And um, so that's that's kind of our story in a big nutshell there. You were on Clomid when they went. Yeah, me too. Yes. I went through infertility also. for and And I got up to IVF and I just said, this isn't my path, you know? And yeah. I think- I think some of us that go through infertility, it actually, it makes it so that it's almost a relief. And I was able to get yeah. pregnant. Uh, they, they don't know how, but you know, I mean, I never went through more infertility and I was able to get pregnant and where other people don't, but I knew right. when I was walking away from that, I knew that it was not my path and that if I couldn't get pregnant biologically, uh, that that was, I was fine with that. So I think some yeah. of us, it gives us peace and reassurance. We go through it enough. Um, we go through it just enough to realize how challenging it is and physically and emotionally awful right. it is to go through infertility where other women are like, no, we're going, we're going to keep going. And, and they, mm -hmm. they have the IVF babies. And I always give so much credit to women who are willing to go through that journey because yeah. holy cow, I got through a big portion of it. And I was like, no, this is not, this is not meant for me. I'm going to do foster care. So yeah. similar experience to you where yeah. I, I mean, I would have been sad if I hadn't been, able, I think, I mean, I don't know because I ended up being able to give birth naturally, but I also had a really high chance of miscarriage and right. um, I had very rough pregnancies the first half and, you know, you, but, but I did know it did teach me that that wasn't the way for me and I could get kids in a different way. And I would rather do foster care and help kids that had been like I was when I was a kid. You know, right. so very similar. It's it's just I just want to point out how interesting because infertility is so hard. It's it is hard. So hard, and the success and rate is not great. It's not, and and in the Bible where it talk it talks about like the barren women, it's it was a punishment. You know that they weren't mm -hmm. doing something right, and so for me it was like, am I sinning? Am I what am I doing wrong? that is making me infertile when my sisters can even plan to the month that they're going to have a baby. And um, so it was really hard for me to kind of accept that God had this plan for me instead, that he wanted me to be an adoption 
advocate and to see this harder side of of um, becoming a mom and appreciating my children in a different way and loving children in a different way than if they were biologically mine. And they they are no different than mm -hmm. if I had biological. I mean, I still get mad at them. I still get annoyed <laughs> and frustrated with them. And mm -hmm. I still like think that they're amazing kids and that they are just gonna be, you know, superheroes someday. So um I, I don't think I and I on a daily basis I'm not looking at them going, this is somebody else's child. No, no. this is my this is my kid. And anybody who's ever adopted understands that it's not about biology. And you adopted at birth. I adopted three out of five of mine at birth also. And, okay. uh, you know, I don't love them any different because I got them older, but you do have that time to bond differently right. when you have them from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, when they're a little bit older, you kind of have to fill in those gaps in different ways, but you do. Right. And then it's right. not any, I have to sit and think like, who was at birth and who was later and how old were they? You, you right. don't, I, I have a sister-in-law who couldn't get pregnant and she adopted twins at birth. And then the twins were like 13 and she was in her forties and got pregnant randomly and had a baby. Wow. And I <laughs> asked her how different were these experiences for you? And it was interesting. Her husband, who wasn't the one that was pregnant, her husband said, the second that baby's in your arms, it doesn't make a difference. Right, exactly. You just have this amazing love for this child um, that you don't even know where it comes from. It's, it's, it can't be said anything than it's supernatural. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I also looked into international adoption. I think celebrities make that look glamorous. And yes. there are a lot of kids in orphanages that could really use homes, but the cost right. and the amount of red tape and the amount of time you know, exactly. celebrities don't really go into all of that stuff and maybe right. money can speed it up. I don't know, but it was yeah. so, it was, I mean, I was torn with international adoption because I knew there were so many kids right here in our own country. Like, why are we fixing another right. country if we, ours isn't, is still broken. Right. Um, we still looked into it though. And it is, mm -hmm. it is daunting. Right. And in, in the adoption community, there are people who shame those of us who adopt at birth. And then there's those who shame the ones who don't adopt from foster care. And then there's the shame of not adopting internationally. But I'm, I've started um, five years ago, I went to work for our adoption attorney and I became the birth mom liaison for a while. And I've worked, um, I'm the marketing assistant now. And I, I do a lot with um, the adoption community. And what I know and what I see is that there are over 30 million children in the world who are classified as orphans. And so if no matter how you bring them into your home, it doesn't matter. You, we still need to take these kids in. So if you get them as a baby, well, you know, their birth mom was in jail. There was no option. She had asked her parole officer if they, if they would babysit the baby until she got out of jail, but she has, she had a history of going in and out of jail. So she didn't have a whole right. lot of options and she didn't want them to end up in foster care. So my children got a, a head start. They could have been foster children eventually. Yeah. Do we, do, do we wait until that happens and they are put through trauma and all of that? Or do we take on the responsibility early on and try to save these kids from from having to go through the additional trauma 
And right. I think a lot, a lot of people don't understand um, because my kids look normal, but they're all considered, they're all classified as special needs because we don't have um, their birth father's history at all. We have no idea who their birth fathers are. And um, so they are, pro, there are medical things that could possibly come up with them that we are not going to be aware of or know to look for. And in addition, they, uh, a child who is adopted even as an infant has the trauma before in the womb because the birth mom is not try, trying to connect with the baby. She's trying to separate herself. She's exposing them to substances that mm-hmm. a baby shouldn't be exposed to. And then she, the tra- whatever trauma she's experiencing is, is being focused on the baby as well. And so they have trauma that people don't know, like, why do your kids act a certain way? And I'm like, well, because they did have adoption trauma. They do. They're not with their biological mother. So there is a, a detachment. There is that my oldest has some attachment issues with me and we've had to get counseling and work through all of that. And people are like, but you got her when she was born from the hospital. I'm like, yeah, but she still had nine months in the womb. And I think a lot of people are not educated on what happens before a baby is born. That that's true. And I'm glad you did that. I, I did, I did most of my adoption. Well, that's not true. So I was in foster care as a foster parent for um, 12 years total. And I did the first two adoptions through CPS, but I, I adopted a um, two-year-old little boy and his mom was pregnant. When moms are in this situation, in your situation and in mine, I don't think it's uncommon, they're pregnant and CPS is peripherally involved because if they don't figure something out, that baby will be put into foster care. And so I was in the same situation when I adopted a sibling and the mom was pregnant. There's no way that CPS wasn't going to come in and get that baby. Right. Can't raise a child in jail, for example, um, in your mom's situation. So- you know that they're going to go into foster care. So yes, do this. And I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a comment. That's kind of a contradiction when a mom's giving up her baby. It's the most unselfish thing that a woman can possibly do. I've been through pregnancy and childbirth, and I cannot imagine making the decision to give a child up for adoption and how challenging that is at the same time. And these women are being proactive and giving up their baby at the same time they're in a situation where there's drugs there's there are a lot of involvements where it's not like they would have kept the baby anyway but they don't have to be proactive about it so they're still making a decision to be proactive and they're still coming into the situation knowing that this is the best thing for the baby yeah the baby's going to go into foster care anyway if i can do this instead it will be a much better situation they don't have to do that there are a lot of parents who lose their kids after years of things going sideways and so i still have a tremendous amount of respect for the moms that even in a situation where they'll lose their kids anyway they are still proactive about doing what's in the best interest of the child Oh, yes. And that's why um, for a while I was working as the birth mom liaison at our attorney's office, because I have always been a birth mom advocate. I think that these women deserve respect, even though they are coming from what seems like maybe like uh, the outside world says, well, they're choosing drugs. They're choosing this lifestyle. They're choosing these things. Well, we don't know. We don't know what their situation is. We don't know how they got into that situation. And but for the grace of God, 
we could be there too. And so I think that these women deserve respect and love and compassion. And I think that they should still be, um, you know, able to receive letters and pictures. We encourage mm -hmm. our adoptive families to, to do that. We do not do closed adoptions except in a rare circumstance where a birth mom has asked for it because it's not healthy for the children. It's not healthy for the adoptive couple and it's not healthy for the birth mom. They're, the biological connection is there whether the adoptive parents want to or not. And I counsel not officially, I'm not a counselor, but when I'm talking to adoptive couples, I tell them, you are afraid of this this woman coming back in and trying to take your child because we see these movies on Lifetime and 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 we see where a baby was kidnapped back by the birth mom. But that's not the average situation. These women mm -hmm. have who care enough to go through nine months of pregnancy and pick a family that will raise their ch child in a better way than they feel they can usually are pleased with their decision if they're treated well and treated with respect. And so I have always um, told like people will ask me, why do you um, send her pictures when she asks for them? Why do you keep um, writing her letters? Why do you even leave those doors open? Uh, because my children need to know what this woman gave up for them and how she chose life. And when she was in jail, the jails um, actually encourage abortions because they don't want to, a, a baby who is born while they're in while the mother is in jail is considered a ward of the state. So the state right. has to pay for all the medical and all of, um, and for like the first year they're on Medicaid and all of that. And the state doesn't want to do that. So they try to encourage abortions because that's an easy fix. And so for these moms who say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose life. That's a big deal. Um, and they just, I think that they deserve respect when they could have taken an easier way out. I agree. I, I don't know what your definition is, but I did open adoptions in the sense that I've had the same phone number and my old hotmail address for like, you know, my phone number has been almost 19 years and, um, I forwarded the phone number before that for as long as I could. And I've kept the same email that forwards to my current email. And that is the only reason, the only right. reason that I have a hotmail. I mean, I wouldn't have changed my phone number anyway, but I, I did as much as I could so that if birth parents wanted to find me and be able to talk to me, I made it as easy as possible. They were always right. allowed to have contact with me. They were not allowed to have contact with the kids. Right. Yes. And that's how and that's I did ours. it. Yeah. And I think you like adoptive couples, they need to know like an open adoption does not mean you're just opening the door and letting letting people come into your house who could be a danger to your children. Because if they're if they're somebody who's addicted to drugs, there is a danger there. And you have to be one all the time, your kids are first. So you have to you have to like gauge the level of how open your adoption can be. We felt like it was best for things to go through our attorney. So all of right. it, so all of our mail, any anytime she writes us or we write her, it comes from our attorney's address. So um and and any phone calls, if she calls the office, then they connect her to me. So um, you know, so yeah. there's so there's like a 
a protective barrier there for our children, but we're also keeping those doors open. And we hope that one day we'll be able to have a meeting with her when she's ready and when the kids are ready. Yeah, I waited. I mean, I've, I have some birth parents who are on Facebook with me and would message mm -hmm. me and yeah. that was totally fine. I, I yep. didn't have any problem. They could watch the kids grow up. They could, if they asked for something, I would send it. And so, I, I mean, I, I felt like the kids at some point are going to want to have some sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just be able to understand it more. And I, I have right. so much information. I have, I know how that dad laughed. I have so much information. I knew these people. Um, I knew all of the birth parents. I kept pictures and records of when we met. And right. I knew that that wouldn't be enough for these kids. They need to under, right. some of them need to understand it differently or more or, you know, rectify right. it in their minds and they have. So, because yeah. most of my kids are all adults now, um, I think almost, well, almost all of them have reached out to some biological family, not always the parents because they're, you find right. their siblings and all kinds of stuff. Yes. So as a mom um, to these kiddos, one of the questions I know you've probably gotten that I've gotten is like, how does that not hurt your feelings leaving this door open? Well, I think that you have to say that you you want what's best for the kids. And I love these kids and I would give my life for them. So this is a small part that I can give to them. These are not people who are trying to take over. These are these are other people who connect them to their to the puzzle in their life, you know, that that provide them a healthy existence so that they know what to expect so that they know who they are and how selfish am I being if I keep that stuff from them if I have access to it I mean I I've told them I will share I will eventually share with you everything I know but sometimes it's not appropriate for where you're at right now or how old you are and so I'm not going to share all the sort of details but I am going to let you know who she is and what she did for you and what, what the process was. And um, that way, when the kids ask me questions, I try to be as honest with them as possible because um, like studies have shown that the, the healthy adoptees are the ones whose parents are honest with them and open with them and not trying to keep these things a secret. We, we need to get rid of this um, idea that, just because they came to us in a certain way, there's no shame in it. And if we keep those th those facts a secret, then we make it like their adoption is shameful and like we're embarrassed. And I don't ever want my children to think that. And um, I actually, um, my well, my attorney recommends to families, he's an adoptive dad too, and he's been doing this for 40 years. And he tells all of our clients the best time to start talking about adoption is when your kid is born yeah. and you keep on it because you make it normal. And that's why I wrote my book. Um, why did you choose me? Because it's a, it's a book for children, for young children yeah. that just kind of starts the process of talking to them. Because I think a lot of adoptive couples are like, what do I share? Isn't, aren't they too young? But they're not, they, they need to know that they're loved and they were so loved 
by this person who couldn't take care of them and knew they couldn't take care of them, that she chose life and said, I'm going to find a better situation for you. Right. Yeah. And, and to, and to know your love that much, I don't think that there's anything wrong in knowing there's so many people who love you like that. I also felt like it wasn't a competition. I wasn't competing against a biological mom. I was who right. I was, right? I'm mom and I am who mm -hmm. I am. And if they eventually met and started a friendship with the other mom, it's just a different friendship. It's a different relationship entirely. And I would, right. I've told my kids that it's not like you have four friends and if you meet somebody new, you got to kick one out because you only have capacity right. for those four, right? We have right. It's unbelievable capacity for relationship and for love. And yeah. it's, it's a different relationship. Um, yeah, I, I love that. I'm so, I didn't consider ever uh using an attorney to adopt i went straight through foster care and you're right you interrupted you interrupted the process of foster care and additional trauma yes and and um our attorney actually kind of works like an agency we work from match all the way through finalization hmm. and because um because it's a smaller adoption there's different um standards and different things that like the home study is even different yeah. from what you do for foster care and adoption and we've obviously we've done we've done the home study for foster care we've done the home study for international adoption and we've done the attorney one and the attorney one is the easiest one because they don't have all this extra red tape that they have to go through and have the fire marshal come in and have right you know all these things there's it's it's much easier and on average we match and, and the the baby goes home with the couple and finalization within 12 to 18 months whereas with an agency and foster care it's two to four years yeah it can be so yeah. so the process is a little bit easier and the fees can be a little bit less um depending on who you're working with and that was another thing for us you know just finding out like how do you afford a adoption and a lot of people say it's like buying a child and I get really like that irks me so much because it's not, it's a lot of people who need to be paid for doing the legal stuff and to the go in the extra mile to get a baby. It's not, you're buying the baby. You're not going to the birth mother and offering her $20,000. You're, you're taking care of the, the court costs and the, legal yeah. fees and the paperwork and all of that stuff. And so people don't understand um, why it costs so much. But I do think like my attorney um, moved here to South Carolina in order to cut some of the red tape and has worked with um, the Department of Family Services to try to change some of the, the law around adoption, because we do need um, better standards. We do need things to be easier, but we don't want them to be too easy because then you're going to have people who have bad intentions who are adopting and we want to make sure these children are going to good homes. So it's a kind of a, one of those gray areas that's hard to know where to cut back. It's interesting because I've, no one has ever commented to me that, you know, you bought a baby and maybe because mm -hmm. things originated with social services, but mm -hmm. yeah, we, we paid for adoptions. We paid for three months of living expenses for a birth mom. Um, right we try to put money where it made sense to make life easier for the birth mom who had just gone through this whole pregnancy and right. for the baby. And a lot of it was just, it was 
we had an attorney and we, um, you know, for the two adoptions that happened with C with, with social services peripherally, like they would have come in if right. we hadn't finalized the adoption, they were very present, but they kind of stayed out of our way. So it was a private adoption with right. CPS holding our hands, letting us know, what, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is how it has to happen. So we had to pay the, right. we had to pay the court fees. We elected to pay the birth mom's fees. Um, we didn't have to do that, but we, we wanted to, because she was, she was doing something for us, regardless of whether right. or not this child would have been taken from her. Um, right. when moms take that second and go, wait, I want to do this a better way. It's still a better mm -hmm. way. And I yes. wouldn't have my children without her. Exactly. So I've thanked right. every single foster, every single mom that I've, yes. that I've worked with, I've thanked them. And people don't understand, like when, when you're taking care of birth mom expenses, you're not paying the birth mom, you're paying, like we work through our attorney, our attorney from a trust paid for her rent to the yeah. landlord yeah. and paid the cell phone company directly. It doesn't, it's not like she, and it, and it wasn't a never ending, uh, source of income for her it was just right. for the few months before the baby was born and a couple of weeks or i think six to eight weeks after uh, postpartum just to help get her on her feet and i i kind of saw her as you know my sister like i took her in i loved her because she is the mother of my children so i so if I can help her and try to set her on the right path and, and help her get out of the life that she was living, then I'm okay with that. It's a short amount of time that I'm paying for. Yeah. Yeah. It was, we didn't pay it. We didn't give her money. So right. it was the same sort of situation. And I think you have to take the, you know, wanting to have a child, wanting to make a difference, wanting to take a child who is or will be in foster care, it's very altruistic, right? We have this heart, right. this love to do this. And and yet you need to be aware of all the process, the red tape, the applications, right. the fact that it always doesn't always feel happy when you're filling right. things out. You know, I've had people who are filling out adoption information like this feels like I'm applying for a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and at the same time, but you need to do those things because you have to know where your boundaries are, what you can handle, what you can't handle. You know, right. if you guys had gotten that second or third call from this mom and been like, you know, we, we can't, we can't do it. Yeah. Um, I believe siblings should be together too. I've kept sibling groups together also. And, um, you know, there's one situation where I couldn't keep going. I did three out of right. five, but when the next two came, I was like, I, I can't keep doing this, you yes. know, right now. I, I just didn't have the capacity. So you have to sometimes weigh, there's a, there's so many things you have to weigh out in this. And, and, right. and unfortunately it, it's not personal and it can't be super emotional because there's just stuff that you have to do. Right. And it's, but it is hard. It's yes. hard. Well, our first match, I actually ended up turning down because my dad was in the hospital um, having heart surgery. Um, it was going to be at Christmas time. I was going to have to go up to Wisconsin and in, in, where there was a blizzard happening at the time. And I was going to have to stay there for like a month by myself in a hotel. And there were just so many factors. And I didn't want to say no. But it was my husband 
And I just came to this point where we were like, this is not the situation for us because there's just too many roadblocks here. Um, and then when we did get the call for our oldest, our, our attorney said, this is obviously a God thing because all the doors are opening for you guys. And this is so smooth and everything that's happening is going so smoothly that this is just obviously your baby. And it was just like God's stamp of approval on this. And then when she called us a couple years later, we were not ready to adopt again. We had started thinking like maybe this time we will go through foster care and we will because we have our first one and maybe we will just, you know, ride that out and see how that see what happens. And she called us and um, we didn't have any money saved up for adoption. We didn't have any kind of, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And we said, okay, God, we'll say yes, but you're going to have to make this very clear. And we used up all our resources, everything we had. And we got to a point and we said, we just, we don't know where any more money is going to come from. And we just, we we're going to have to say no. Mm -hmm. And um, I was really angry. I was angry at God for like making me love this baby boy that hadn't been born yet. And that it, I hadn't been searching for. And then to close that door, I just didn't understand why he would do that to me. Um, and he brought to me, to my attention, the verse where it says, I know um, that the plans I have for you are to prosper, prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And yep. I thought, I said, okay, Lord, I give this baby to you. Maybe this baby doesn't need me. Maybe there's a better situation for this baby. And I just pray that you will lead in his life. And the very next day, my church threw me a humongous surprise baby shower and supplied all of the furniture we needed, all of the uh, diapers, wipes, like anything you can imagine that we needed for this baby. And then within the next couple of days, two grants came through that paid the rest of the adoption expenses. And it was like, God just needed me to say, this isn't your baby. This is for a time I'm going to let you be this child's mother and I expect you to to um, follow me and just trust me in his life. And um, and, you know, and it just has it, it was just really neat to see like what what God wanted from me in that situation mm -hmm. and to realize, you know, that these children, biological, adopted, whatever, we're just we're just like their moms for a time. They're going to grow up. They're going to leave. They're going to start their own families. And, um, you know, so we do the best we can and we just love them. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and with our third one, it was, it was even harder because for her, I was actually invited into the hospital room and mm -hmm. got to see the birth and I got to cut the cord yep. and I did all of that. And that was actually harder on me because then I didn't know where to be. I was, should I be supporting the birth mom or should I be excited that my baby's here? And so actually, um, I, after that one, um, something that people don't talk about, I suffered with post-adoption depression very badly after that one. Um, and people don't realize that that's an actual thing because you're so high um, on getting everything done before the baby comes that afterwards you especially want to connect to this baby, but you haven't really had that time to connect with them because they weren't growing inside of you and and there's a little bit of uh, a depression that comes on 
And I felt like I didn't have as much support because I already had a girl. I already had a boy. People thought we were crazy to adopt a third one. Um, and, and it just felt like overwhelming. And I got, I got super protective of my family during that time. And I didn't want anybody to watch my kids. I didn't want anybody else to be, um, a part of like taking care of the baby or doing any of that stuff because, um, it, it was just really for like three months, I was in a very dark place. I couldn't sleep well. I couldn't, um, I could, I just couldn't do anything but focus on like, this is my family and nobody else is allowed to touch them. And um, I didn't realize at the time that there are services available for moms going through this. I didn't realize I was depressed and I right. did have, because I knew postpartum depression was a thing, but people don't talk about post-adoption depression. And so I have tried to be more of an advocate for moms now because people are like, well, you are the one who wanted this baby. You didn't have to have this baby. <laughs> and yeah, the mental toll that takes on you, the, um, yeah, I should be joyful. I should be happy. And I was, I loved her, but at the same time I was overwhelmed with now, what do I do? And, and just very, um, and a lot of people don't understand that there's a, that post-adoption depression needs more resources, needs more advocates, needs more, more adoptive couples need to be talking about. It wasn't all sunshine and roses after I got home with the baby. There was a lot going on. I got special certification to be an adoption and surrogacy doula just because of that, because, and there's a lot more information now, but I love working with women who are wanting to do the adoption because that's a mm -hmm. hard thing and I can support them physically. And like right. you said, I was in the room with my last child too. And I cut the cord and it was the same thing. Now you're, you're split, right? What, right. where do I go? What do I do? And that mm -hmm. bridges that gap because yeah. I, as the doula stay with the mom and take care of the mom and you leave with the baby and take care of the baby. Um, if yeah. you're in the, whether you're in the room or not. And um, the depression for the birth mom, like she's still going through everything postpartum that you go right. through, but it's not being recognized because she doesn't have a baby. So, right. you know, I love, I love helping in those situations because easing those birth moms through that and the postpartum potential depression and physical stuff. And then on the flip side, helping the adoptive mom with the baby, because there's, there's so many more things involved than you think are going to be involved. And it's really right. challenging. So I'm, yes. I'm very thankful that you brought that up. Well, I, I feel like when I'm sharing my adoption story, I need to share that part of it because um, people think, well, you got your babies, so you should be home and happy and, and look how easy it was for you because you didn't have like this uh, recovery time from being, from going through labor and they don't understand like, yes, but the mental toll it takes on you and the, um, and, and now you're suddenly up all night with a baby that you didn't have nine months to bond with. And then you're supposed to suddenly want to care for this baby all the time. And um, with our first one, we left that hospital with the baby. And we, that first night we were like, what were they thinking? They should have asked for more qualifications from us. Right. 
<laughs> I mean, I think a lot of us, whether you have a give birth or not, the, when you get sent home, it's like, seriously, yeah. you have to get a license to fish, but any, but I just walked out with a baby. So yes. <laughs> it felt a little yeah. wrong. And, and we had great nurses then, but the nurse, um, and I, one of my jobs for the attorney for a while was working with the hospitals and I would call the hospital, especially during COVID. Um, a lot of the hospitals were limiting who was allowed in with these moms, which was especially tough because yeah. here they're, they don't have any support at all going in and they're making this huge decision that's going to affect their lives forever. And, um, so I was talking with the social workers at the hospitals and some of the hospital social workers were quite ugly with me about um even dealing with an adoption and uh we had one we we've had well we've had more than one social worker who was not educated in adoption and not informed and ended up getting um department of family services involved and co that complicated things even further Right. If if the social worker had just known what they were doing. So I, I feel like there needs to be more education um, in the healthcare industry as well, you know, of how to handle the adoptive couple, how to handle the birth mother and to make sure that the plan is in place and that you're following their plan and not trying to change their minds. They've had months to think about this. And this is where they they've come to the decision that this is where they need to be. And a lot of times when a social worker or a nurse talks a birth mom into keeping the baby um, and she goes home with the baby, we hear back from the birth mom within a couple of months because the resources and the support at home are not there. And right. the adoption plan should have gone through from the very beginning. But there also needs to be resources for them. If they want to keep their baby, we need to have more support yeah. in place and um so it's a broken system for sure. And, yeah. and that's, and I, I feel very strongly. I, um, at our former church, my husband and I started an orphan ministry and ran it for five years because we wanted the church to come back alongside, um, adoptive couples and birth mothers and to make it not so much always leaning on the state, but church, the, the churches need to be involved in helping and, um, ministering to these these people because the, the triad is broken. You have adoptive, an adoptive couple who is mourning, you know, not being able to biologically conceive. And then you have um, a, a birth mom who's mourning the fact that she can't be a mother because of her circumstances. And then you have the uh, adopted children who grow up mourning the fact that this ever had to be part of their story. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the more we talk about it, the more we make this, um, the resources available and the support available, I think the healthier the adoption world will be and healthier families will be. That's a perfect place to end. Katie, thank you so much for being on today. I appreciate you sharing your story. Well, thank you so much. I've, I've enjoyed talking to you.